Hello, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of the House of Deputies Blue Book podcast. I'm your host, President of the House of Deputies, Julia Ayala Harris, and it is my pleasure to guide you through the fascinating world of the General Convention and its interim bodies. This podcast is your bridge to stay informed, engaged, and connected with the pulse of the Episcopal Church, whether you're a deputy to the 81st General Convention, a member of a local parish, or simply a church geek. You've come to the right place for valuable insights, thought-provoking conversations, and a deeper understanding of our church's role in today's rapidly changing world. Now, you might be wondering, what is this House of Deputies Blue Book podcast? And even, what is the blue book? What if I told you there was a mysterious book quietly shaping big decisions in the Episcopal Church? It materializes every three years, it's chock full of juicy proposals, and inspires this podcast. And then it disappears after casting an epic enchantment on our deputies and bishops. (laughs) A blue book report refers to one of the key reports created ahead of General Convention of the Episcopal Church. Packed inside are tales from the front lines of our ministries and future forward ideas from brilliant church geeks just like you and I. Our deputies, which are elected representatives from every diocese, get to dive in and geek out with the Blue Book. So let me just back up just one more minute to explain this process before we begin today's episode. The General Convention is the governing body of the Episcopal Church, meeting every three years. This time we're meeting two years later because of the pandemic. It's made up of deputies and bishops from each diocese. And in the months leading up to General Convention, a number of Blue Book reports are created by standing committees, task forces, and what we call interim bodies of the Episcopal Church. Interim because they're bodies between General Conventions. These reports provide background context and review process on various church initiatives and programs. They also put forth policy recommendations for priorities, budgets, and potential resolutions for general convention to consider. In the past, the reports were published in a book with a blue cover, hence the term blue book reports. Brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) This book helps deputies and bishops prepare for discussions and decisions at general convention. However, it's important to note the blue book is now completely virtual and is no longer a literal book, but that's for the general convention office to answer. Some of the key Blue Book reports cover topics like the church's budget, social justice issues, church structure and governance, liturgy and music, ministry programs, ecumenical relations, and more. Blue Book reports shape the agenda and output of each general convention. They provide critical information that underpins the church's priorities, policies, budget, and administration for the next triennium. So we have two deputies with us from two different standing commissions here with us today. In this episode, Shaping Our Churches Tomorrow, Governance and Worship with Deputies Panky and Baker. This is promising to be an enlightening dive into the core of our church's structural and spiritual expression. I am so deeply pleased to welcome two good friends, Deputy Steve Pankey, joining us from the Standing Commission on Structure, Governance, Constitution, and Canons, and Deputy Stan Baker from the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music. Their expertise and passion will unveil the intricacies of governance reforms and the evolving landscape of worship, music, and liturgy, addressing the challenges and opportunities ahead. So let's dive in and get to know our fellow deputies. 
while also exploring these pivotal aspects that are shaping our churches tomorrow. So Deputy Penke, Deputy Baker, thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. It's delightful to be here. <laughs> I am so excited about this episode. So let's get started. Why don't you both uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you live, and your ministries. Sure. So I am Standard Baker, some or Stan is fine. I am in the Diocese of Vermont. I am a deacon, and I'm also Archdeacon for the Diocese of Vermont, and a, a, pra a practicing deacon at the Cathedral Church of St. Paul in Burlington. Um, and I have all kinds of ministries in the church. I'm the safe, one of the safe church coordinators for our diocese. I have been on, I've been a deputy. This will be my sixth time, fifth as a clergy person. Uh, oh, you'll be a senior deputy then. You there will get one of the, the coveted ribbons on your name tag. <laughs> that, that means it's time to quit, you know. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, and then um, I am, um, uh, serve on the standing committee for my diocese. I am a member of the commission, the standing commission on liturgy and music, finishing my second term of that. Um, and I'm also now honored at your request, Julia, to chair the legislative um, committee on prayer book liturgy and music. Um, and I think that some of the ways that, shall I keep going at this point? Yeah, sure. Or let's have Steve introduce himself and then I'll oh, go sure. back. Hold on to so, that thought. Go ahead, Deputy. Panky. Yeah, uh, so I'm Steve Panky. I am uh, a priest in the Diocese of Kentucky. I serve uh, Christ Episcopal Church in Bowling Green. Uh, we are uh, the Corvette City and um, uh, and on I-65, so lots of people wave at us as they make their way south for the winter. Um, I currently serve on the standing committee in my diocese as well. Um, I am on the uh, the Standing Commission on Structure, Governance, Constitution, and Canons, as the president has already indicated. I also serve on her Council of Advice, which is a whole lot of fun, um, and it's been a real gift to uh, to share that ministry with uh, with others in the church as we support um, Julia in her amazing ministry. Um, but I'll stop singing your praises now. Um, and. Uh, um, I also, uh, I'm a deputy, uh, as, as has been mentioned, this will be my second time as deputy from the Diocese of Kentucky. I served twice as a deputy from the Diocese of the Central Gulf Coast. So this will be my fourth uh, general convention as a deputy. I guess I'm one short of a ribbon. Um, I did <laughs> almost, general, you're getting close. Yeah, um, I started my general convention ex uh, uh, experience as the, um, student representative from Virginia Theological Seminary in 2006 in um, Columbus and uh, sort of fell in love with it there and have been nerding out on it ever since. Very nice. It's love to be with fellow church or it's lovely to be with fellow church geeks. <laughs> it's one of the joys of this position. So before we go into our church geekiness, I have my icebreaker question for you all which is over the weekend, um, my family, my daughter put on a big party called Galentine's Day Party. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Amy Poehler and the show Park and Rec, in which she gets a bunch of friends together and instead of celebrating Valentine's Day, she celebrates her gal pals for Galentine's Day. So my question for you all is if you were to create a holiday, what holiday would you create? 
<laughs> and in light that we're we're coming up to an Ash Wednesday Valentine's Day, which I'll be honest makes me extremely happy because Ash Wednesday is my favorite holy day, and I'm not a huge Valentine's Day person. So this is like um, ashes to ashes is my love language. So I'm very excited about Wednesday. <laughs> so what holidays would you create? Julie, you know, there are memes going around like, that, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? And I'm putting ashes on my forehead and talking about death. And so <laughs> I, love, I love Ash Wednesday too. So I would create, I think I'd create a holiday called Gay Family Day. Because um, <sighs> uh, my husband and I were plaintiffs in the Civil Union lawsuit. It's named after me. It's called the Baker case. And so the ability for gay folks to choose to get married if they want to, and also to protect their children with marriage and to embrace mm -hmm. family is incredibly important for me. So I would, I would have, and I'm not sure where it would be, maybe in February, maybe not, but I'd have Gay Family Day. I love that. That's amazing. That is fantastic. I wish I would have gone first. Uh, <laughs> that's way better than anything I could come up with. Um, we can come back if well, you'd like. I don't think it would be creating a holiday, but this it, this is timely, and it's my particular um, my particular drum that I beat about this time every year, and that is that the Super Bowl should take place on a Saturday. Um, I I know it's not good for us church people who have to work on Sunday mornings, but the whole world should have uh, a day of rest after all of the salt that they consume on Super Bowl uh, day. And, um, and I just, I think if we're going to create a holiday, let's, let's create a holiday for us all to eat way too much. Like we normally do on holidays, uh, and then have a day of rest afterwards. An actual day of rest yeah. the day after Super Bowl Saturday. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's my bailiwick right now. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so getting back into more church geeky stuff, Stan, I think you were about to go into this earlier. Uh, can you tell us more about the interim body that you all served on and what initiatives that interim body has coming to general convention this summer in June in Louisville? Sure. Um, so I was, as I said, in my second term of the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music. And for the second term, I served as secretary along with my... Um, my my buddy Mark Childers, who served as chair, and the two of us sort of go together in this work. And for the legislative committee on prayer book liturgy and music, I'm the chair, and he's the secretary. Plus, we have some <laughs> amazing, amazingly talented, seasoned people on the legislative committee. Um, Ruth Myers is co co chair, vice chair, and and other people like that who will make sure things get through. I'd like to say that there were four subcommittees of the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music. The usuals, which are Book of Common Prayer and Calendar, which is who becomes Episcopal Saints, basically. But we added two. One is called Liturgical Music, and the other we called Accessibility, Inclusivity, and Safety. Um, and those were all chaired by very talented people. So what you can expect is the normal um, uh, sort of new calendar days coming out, although that um, subcommittee also, I think, clarified what are the steps to go through and what are the qualifications for somebody to become a saint? Uh, my own personal one that I want to make sure gets through, uh, because in the last iteration, we were going to do a group calendar day for deaconesses. But then in this iteration, that group decided no group days. So the 
deaconesses and the uh, military chaplains got delayed and we're going back into the names and what better thing than to have more female saints so we have a deaconess coming through for her day the first deaconess ever of the episcopal church and that uh, is not going to be ground ground shattering but it's important to me Um, then in the bcp we are completing the work on the expanded version of prayer c um, howard galley's dear prayer that some of us love and some don't, but most people do. Um, It came through in the last one, but got booted out. A, B, and D got accepted for trial use in their expanded version. Prayer C, they sent it back. So we're bringing that back through with a dialogic version and a um, uh, a non-dialogic version. And I think they're terrific. And they include some of the stuff that Howard Galley said he would have liked to have done if he had a chance to redo Percy. So look for oh, Percy. Interesting. <laughs> um, more, sort of more, more fundamental, I think, just what is the prayer book? We are affirming, of course, that the prayer book is memorialized and will always be available to us in the form it's in. But we're trying to create a sense of how do we move forward and, and have an easily accessible site for everyone to know what's trial use, what's authorized, what you need to ask your bishop for permission to use, what you don't. And that is an expanded, um, better version of EpiscopalCommonPrayer.org. So look for that to keep on being improved. And that some of that work will come before us as well. Um, and that was EpiscopalCommonPrayer.org? Yes. And then Excellent. there will be some resources coming out of uh, BCP, uh, or I'm sorry, Accessibility, Inclusivity, and Safety on some alternate language for the Good Friday liturgy, um, some Juneteenth stuff, and some other important things that that people have been asking for. Um, There's been lots of work on music. We're not going to get into the mud of a new hymnal, not the mud, but the murkiness of a new hymnal. But there are a lot of um, uh, new resources coming out of that amazing committee that did wonderful, wonderful work. I believe, Steve, if I'm not mistaken, that Article 10, or is it Title 10, is in your bailiwick, I believe. So I'm not going to talk about that. But the very last thing I want to say is that the liturgies for same-sex marriage will Mm -hmm. be coming through for first reading to become part of the canon of the church, if you will, in terms of our liturgies. And um, that's very exciting for me because of both my involvement in civil union, but I was on the same gender blessings task force for three iterations and Mm -hmm. was in Salt Lake City when when they first got approved. And that was the same weekend, if you all remember that the Supreme Court uh, said that there was federalized um, same-sex marriage. So that's been a very important, deep, spiritual and heart-based piece for me. And that will be coming to the floor. So Wonderful. And, I, and you will and be I, the one to bring it to the floor. What? You will be the one to bring yes. it to the floor, was, Deputy Baker, as chair thinking, of I was thinking about that, uh, President Julia. All those people like the chair and the vice chair stand up there in the <laughs> yeah. dais and say, Yeah, and here, bring your way. tissues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. I think that's a good enough. And I, to me, you, you asked the question about uh, what challenge us to live into our baptismal covenant. Yes. All, all those things do. Oh my goodness. That's so good. Oh, 
that's going to be such a powerful moment. I'm already getting <laughs> excited about it. Oh, my goodness. Deputy Pinky, you want to tell us about the interim body that you've been on? And maybe you could also bring up uh, Article 10. Yeah, I'm feverishly scrolling through our book, blue book report to, uh, <laughs> that was not part of the homework that I did. I wasn't even thinking about uh, about that, but yes. It's a second reading of article. I mean, we could yeah. talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can I can talk on that. Um, but yeah, uh, so the Standing Commission on uh, Structure, Governance, Constitutions, and Canons rolls right off the tongue. Um, <laughs> and it is responsible for structure, governance, constitution, and canons, surprisingly enough. Um, we have a pretty robust mandate, um, but it also has um, some careful restrictions on it. And we were uh, we were looking into that uh, some of those restrictions over the course of the last two years, and how we um, how much are we allowed to just sort of create out of whole cloth, um, and how much do we have to be given by general convention or the executive council uh, that meets in the interim? Um, but our task is to. Uh, constantly be reviewing and evaluating the Constitution and canons uh, to make sure that they are um, consistent and have clarity. Um, two things that the can canons rarely have are consistency and clarity. Um, anything, <laughs> if you've ever been to um, a, a regional hospital in a rural community, um, that's kind of like what the canons are. They are iterative and they get expanded over time and they um, to sort of get um, um, meshed in to fit in the allowable space, not necessarily to make sense um, with the rest of the building. Um, and so we did a lot of work around consistency and clarity um, this biennium. We also, um, as a part of that and sort of a subset, and the, the important work we do is um, we're supposed to be constantly reviewing and evaluating Title IV, um, which are the canons around clergy discipline and um, uh, we had a lot of work to do around Title IV um, this biennium, um, and um, it is of utmost importance. And I'm happy to talk through some of the some of the things that we've done there. But we also had some other important things that were given to us by General Convention. Um, one was uh, Resolution D095 that came from our siblings in Michigan um, and their struggles uh, with um, a couple of bishops who behaved poorly and um, their struggles with the uh, Office of Pastoral Development. And General Convention asked us to do a thorough review of that office. And um, we had a lot, of, a lot of support from Bishop Todd Owsley, who uh, spent time in person with us at one of our meetings to, uh, to help us um, really understand the breadth of that office's work and really just how he personally had way too much work on his plate. Um, we were really excited to see um, the executive council um, uh, um, authorized the money to hire um, an intake officer for bishops that is not a bishop. Um, that gives a whole lot more um, transparency, um, I think, to that process. And uh, we've taken some steps um, in that uh, OPD review, as well as our Title IV review, to try to eliminate some of the places where there is a perception um, of inconsistency, whether or not that perception is real. Um, we all, especially as clergy folks, but we all in the church as church professionals try to live above board. And we all know that anytime that there is a perception of an issue, that's, a, that's an issue. Just the perception of a problem is a problem. 
Um, and so we've done some work uh, around that, um, around the role of um, uh, around the role of who can serve as intake officers. Um, we're um, we're actually meeting tomorrow and working on an interim blue book report to add to our um, Title IV changes, um, trying to put some uh, more consistent timelines uh, on the process, as well as um, taking out the uh, the loophole. Um, the only, the only place in the system where an individual can make a decision is with the church attorney. Um, and we, um, it clearly doesn't uh, make a whole lot of sense. It creates problems, even if there aren't problems. And so we've, uh, we've created a system whereby um, the, um, the rest of the, um, the rest of the disciplinary board has the opportunity to review um, the church attorney's decision not to move a case forward. We did so much. I don't even know where to start, um, really. Um, but I'm, I, I, you know, I, I haven't even touched on data collection. I got to spend a lot of time with uh, the House of Deputies Committee on the state of the church and um, their work with the uh, parochial report and how that information gets used and how we can use it more effectively and get more uh, information more efficiently from our congregations. Yeah, you pointed at, or you started to mention a few things I want our listeners to know, um, Deputy Pankey, which is, since it's the Blue Book Report podcast, that the uh, Standing Commission on Structure Governance, Constitution, and Canons will be uh, putting out an an additional uh, Blue Book Report. So there'll be more to their Blue Book Report as we get closer to General Convention, in particular around issues um, uh, regarding Title IV. The and other piece. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The, the the other piece of that, and maybe you're about to say that, is that we've uh, been doing work with uh, the Episcopal Church in Navajo land and their desire to um, to elect their own bishop, which yes. is uh, way overdue. And uh, the House of Bishops yeah. has um, done a lot of uh, theological and ecclesiastical gymnastics to help them with that process over the years. Um, and we're trying to make it canonically work. And so um, part of our interim blue book report will also include um, what we have. We have not made any decisions for the church in Navajo land. We have just empowered them and given them the, the information that they needed to make their own decisions. And we're really excited about, um, about where they're headed and have been honored to work with them in that journey. That's another area where, as uh, Deputy Baker mentioned, with my three priorities for my presidency being accessibility, inclusivity, and safety, you all in structure governance, constitution, canons are working on making our canons more accessible. You're doing things with uh, the Navajo land area mission so that they could be able to elect their own bishop, making our church more inclusive. And then, of course, the changes to Title IV, making our church safer. So I just you know, really thank you all and all the work that you've done and the Standing Commission for Structure, Governance, Constitution, Canons. President but Julie also Lincoln. a so. plug for a future podcast. <laughs> we will have representatives from the House of Deputies State of the Church Committee coming in to talk about changes to the parochial report that have been approved by Executive Council and will be going to all the churches. And Deputy Pinky, if you all want to come back, we can overlap you all with state of the church and talk about parochial report, big time church nerd stuff. I just that was um, 
Deputy Panky, I really enjoyed your, your, your report. That was very, actually very clear and helpful. Um, I wanted to jump in um, because the, the name Accessibility, Inclusivity and Safety for our subcommittee on the SCLM came directly from President, President Julia Ayala Harris's amazing sermon at a meeting of the um, interim bodies. And we just stole it lock, stock and barrel and said, we're gonna call one of our subcommittees that because it felt like in SCLM, there was these sort of core group of things that relate to that liturgically or in terms of church resources. So I wanted to thank you for the inspiration for the name for our subcommittee. No, thank and you. It's imitation is the highest Susan form of flattery, right? Susan Russell was the chair of that subcommittee and she's- Oh, she's, she's fantastic. So. She's a real shero, a she-hero. Yeah. Yes. And that's one of the things that I think we've already gone into how your various initiatives that we've been talking about are challenging the church to live into our baptismal covenant coming up to this 81st General Convention. But are there more ways that you all wanted to point out some of that work or work that you're involved in that's maybe tertiary to some of this, but not directly related to your interim body work? Um, I would just come back to, you know, we say praying shapes believing. Our liturgy both reflects who we are, but also shapes who we are. And I want to just emphasize the importance of, I'm the only deacon on the SCLM, and, and it's sort of interesting to have a diaconal voice there because mm -hmm. I'm not a theologian or a liturgist, though I love it and know a fair amount about it, but to make sure that our liturgies are connected to the heart of what we do in terms of social action and outreach into the world and protecting uh, people who need uh, who are uh, oppressed and that sort of thing. Those things need to be reflected in our liturgy. And um, I just I want the prayer book traditionalists to hear we are not taking away your prayer book, but in any way, shape, or form, you've got it. It'll always be there. But we it's not are going making, right. We are making new and additional alternative things available that the church really needs and trying to clarify because there's been confusion in the past. I think I said this before about what's trial, what's authorized, what can I use without a bishop's permission and all that. We're, we're really trying to clarify that and also make our church, the Episcopal church responsive to the changing heartbeat of who we are and what we need. I love that. And that's another thing uh, about having the two of you coming from two different standing commissions here with us today is because the work that both of these com commissions are doing, I keep wanting to say committees because everything's a committee in the end, right, is, is so critical to who we are as Episcopalians and how we live into that, both when it comes to liturgy and when it comes to governance. So in some ways it looks like, well, these... There's like nothing in common here other than, you know, Title 10 went from liturgy and music to structured governance, constitution, and canons. But actually, it's a inward and outward, all at the same time, kind of expression of who we are as Episcopalians. Mm -hmm. For those who like governance, I suppose. <laughs> but there, there are also two things that we have to do really well, right? Um, yeah. Because damage can be done if we don't do liturgy well, and damage can be done if we don't do structure and governance well. And that's why I appreciate that they're both standing commissions. They don't end, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they don't sunset like so many things do because um, we've got to keep that we've got to keep that process going. And so 
you know, there's six year terms and there's a junior class and a senior class and those seniors mm -hmm. helped. Um, this was my first term. I got a lot of help learning on the fly, especially in a biennium. Um, and that helps us sort of keep the ball rolling because otherwise these things would be so difficult to do if we were just restarting uh, every three years. Like a task force does for right. listeners, but task forces will sunset at, at the end of a triennium, typically triennium, and uh, or between general conventions, but a standing commission goes on and on with two different classes. So we can have that continuity because you're absolutely right. It's so important. One well, thing that we dip, go ahead. One thing that we don't have yet that I would assume would eventually come through the SCLM, the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music, is new liturgies for people who have been abused, oppressed, and hurt by the church or, and mm -hmm. or by other institutions, but let's start with our own church. We certainly mm -hmm. have liturgies of reconciliation. We, we sent, seen, seem to address those who have um, hurt others, but we are very short on liturgies and support and help for those who have been hurt by the church in numerous ways. So I know that President Julia, you, that's mm -hmm. something you're working on and, and I would love to be help with that. But then I also look forward to the day that new liturgies emerge um, as part of the uh, part of this area of liturgies that we can use that really fit the needs of the church today. Yeah. That's what Thank it you, dovetails with with what, what I was thinking around the baptismal covenant. You know, we we like to talk if you ask people their favorites, they're the last two, right? Uh, respecting the dignity of every human being and and seeking serve Christ in our neighbors. But um, the thing that I think my um, standing commission has really taken a hard look at is the one that we probably like the least. And that is um, that is uh, persevering and resisting evil. And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. Um, mm. you know, we have our church has committed some sins, uh, both corporately and individuals within the church. And Title Four is an opportunity for us uh, to seek repentance and restoration, um, but so is our work in Navajo land. Um, it's an opportunity for us to fix some of the historic wrongs that we uh, have done uh, in the name of uh, paternalism or um, um, Anglo values or dominant culture values um, to try to to try to right some of those wrongs and re repent, turn around, say, yeah, we we messed this up and we. We have to, we have to fix it. Oh my gosh. That's so, I never thought about it that way. So I'm kind of, I'm going to spend time reflecting on that, Steve, because that's really deep. <laughs> it's really deep. Um, thank you both so much. So I have one more question for the two of you. And I think this one's the bigger one for Deputy Panky because our next general convention is in his diocese, but what are you most excited about when you think about this upcoming general convention? Uh, I, yeah, I'm really excited that we're hosting. I, um, I, I live two hours from Louisville and in a different time zone, so I don't get to Louisville very often, but um, I think it's a great city and I think it's got um, great food and great culture and great people. And I'm really looking forward to the church getting to see um, 
what um, a sort of pseudo Southern city uh, can do to offer hospitality to everyone. Um, I think uh, the recent executive council meeting that was held in Louisville, there were some people who had never mm -hmm. been before who had made some assumptions and who yep. were really surprised um, at what mm -hmm. Louisville had to offer and what the Diocese of Kentucky is doing around uh, racial healing um, and around creation care and around um, uh, so many different things. And so I'm really looking forward to hosting. Um, but I'm the thing I'm looking forward to the most is um, is a real general convention. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the Baltimore was necessary and I'm glad we did it the way we did it for everybody's safety. But um, to for everybody to just be together and have um, have the uh, um, the opportunity to just be in the same room together and celebrate is going to be such a gift. Yeah, I agree. What are you looking forward to, Stan? One will definitely be that report that you give. Yes, the report <laughs> on, on, on the same-sex marriage is actually making it through. Um, I think for me, similar, just being with my Episcopal siblings in real time and real life, um, I just, I've, I've made so many friends and had so many powerful connections on the floor of the House of Deputies. I remember one time the Diocese of Vermont was sitting right behind the Diocese of Ohio and Jeremiah Williamson, who's now Bishop of Albany, um, thanks be to God, uh, was sitting right in front of me and I really got to know his book of um, intercessions. And, and I think the church works in wonderful, wonderful ways through all of our trials and tribulations so that someone like him can become bishop in a diocese that was struggling with, mm -hmm. with coming into the present in the church. Um, I won't say too much about that, um, but those connections are so powerful. And um, I'm just, I'm looking forward to those moments, like when the Diocese of Cuba um, mm -hmm. came, came back and, and the Bishop of Cuba and others were walked in to the floor and to huge applause. I can imagine similar stuff when we do what we should have done already or where we cross, cross the, I was gonna say jump the broom, but that's appropriation. When we sort of cross that boundary, we sort of crossed long ago and then we finally do it. And it's more than just patting ourselves on the back. It is our heartfelt recognition of the church doing what it should have done and will do now. And then, then I like to think about what's next? What are we missing? What are we missing right now? What am I taking mm -hmm. for granted that really I shouldn't take for granted and I need to educate myself about and, and open my eyes? And General Convention is one of the places where I think our ears and our eyes and our hearts are opened. So I'm looking mm. forward to new openings and to being in Louisville. I think I'm saying it right. I guess you kind of swallow it, right? Louisville. Um, <laughs> my, my, hus my husband uh, was there on sabbatical. Uh, he's a, a professor of theater uh, and he was there at the Actors Theater of Louisville. And I visited him and just loved, loved the town. I thought it was great. So I'm looking forward to being back. That's so wonderful. I, I believe that there are like six approved ways of pronouncing Louisville. Uh, when we get there, I'm sure, you know, there's even signage that says, you know, here, here are the okay ways to pronounce it, but it is never Louisville. It's not <laughs> one of the approved ways, which I love. But and we do it, have a Versailles, Kentucky, so we don't do much <laughs> right. 
for sales. <laughs> and of course, we have Callus Vermont, so um, <laughs> among others. Well, as we wrap up today's conversation, I want to extend my deepest gratitude to deputies Steve Pankey and Stan Baker for sharing their insights and passion with us. The journey through the complexities of church governance and the beauty of liturgical evolution has been truly enlightening. To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this exploration of how church governance and worship intertwine to shape the future direction of the Episcopal Church. Your engagement and curiosity fuel this podcast. We are eager to hear your thoughts and questions. Reach out to us through our website or social media channels. We value your feedback and look forward to incorporating your perspectives into our future episodes. Don't forget to tune in for our next episode where we'll dive into another critical aspect of the church's life and mission. Until then, keep reflecting, keep questioning, keep faith at the center of your journey. Thank you for listening to the House of Deputies Blue Book podcast. Go in peace. For 100 years, the generous donations of Episcopalians and supporters to the Good Friday offering have helped the Christian presence in the land of the Holy One to be a vital and effective force for peace and understanding among all of God's children. A lifeline of hope in times of genuine need in years past, the Good Friday offering continues to support churches, medical programs, and schools today. Now, more than ever, we celebrate the centennial of this historic fund. Your support is needed. Give online at iam.ec slash Good Friday Offering or text GFO to 91999. Good Friday Offering, celebrating a century of gifts and rejoicing in 2,000 years of good news.